Content warnings can be found in the episode description. There is quiet in the ancient forest. The watchful quiet of a hunter. Breath gentle. Movements slow and purposeful as winding brambles. And death as inevitable as the turn of the seasons. There, amongst the gnarled trees, prey is sighted. A horse softly snorts. A stag looks up, its antlers forming a bloody velvet wreath above its noble head. There, there, the wind sighs. Loose now. The hunt is drawing to an end. Arrow thrums from bowstring, a hiss in the air as it finds the flesh of a king. Not one of the forest, but of England. Wine-dark blood seeps into the thirsty ground as betrayal and something darker snatches away the life of the Red King, feeding the ravenous earth. On the 2nd of August of the year 1100, the King of England, King William II, died in mysterious circumstances hunting in the New Forest. The true identity of his killer and the circumstances surrounding his death remain shrouded in mystery. Was it a simple accident, blown out of proportion? Was it political scheming, plotted murder? Or was it a supernatural curse placed on the king's father, William the Conqueror, for seizing land and parishes in the New Forest by force? Join us this week as back in the New Forest we investigate the death of the Red King. I'm Aidan Summers. And I'm Catherine Moore. Welcome to The Weird Side, where we shed light on one of England's most mysterious cold cases. Now, despite the impression you may have gotten from the intro, we're not rebranding to a true crime podcast. As fun as that would be. We're staying well within the realm of folklore, the paranormal and the unknown. Oh, we should also mention that for now, we've decided to put our cult pixie investigation to one side. Speaking of cold cases... Despite a series of incredibly compelling personal encounters with a potential cult pixie out on the moors, Kitty reminds me frequently that a bit of fog and a weird feeling isn't going to withstand rigorous forensic investigation. That it certainly would not. That being said, I really do believe there was something out there. I I felt it. I mean, just look at what happened with the kid, with Rowan. Right, well, enough of that. Take it away, Kitty. Thanks. We've spent a fair amount of time researching this variant of the -the Will-O-The-Wisp, laying out the history and the myth supporting its existence over the last three episodes. And while we could continue to get lost in fog, or trek through peatland... We both agreed that investigating another paranormal uh, event in the area would be a more productive use of our time, and more interesting for you, our listeners. Now, if the cold pixie crops up again, there's nothing stopping us from taking another look. But for now, we're moving on. And please do continue to write in. What did you think of our cold pixie investigation? Did you hear clear proof of someone trying to communicate with us? Or were we barking up the wrong tree? Do let us know if you've ever experienced anything like our encounter on the moors. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the case, and of course about any of your own encounters. 
You can get in touch with us on Twitter at The Weird Side or by email at theweirdside at gmail.com. Remember, that's weird with a Y. Now, King William II, the Red King. Okay, yeah, this case has a little bit of everything. Real history feeding into legend, a clear record of sightings. And don't forget, a dash of unsolved murder. (laughs) Yeah, that old chestnut. You can maybe tell that someone is particularly excited about this case. So, how about we dive right into it with us back out in the field, fresh and ready for another investigation. Welcome back to the New Forest. It's bright and sunny today, hardly a cloud in the sky. We've just hiked up across open heathland from our campsite, which is where we'll be staying for the next few days. It hasn't been a difficult walk so far, up past Stony Cross, a wide plain of scrubby grass characteristic of the New Forest. This whole area used to be used as an RAF airfield, servicing aircraft during the Second World War, and you can still see the remains of the runways etched into the ground. But we're not here for that today. The setting of our investigation lies far further back in the mists of time, in the 12th century, a few years after this land was repurposed as a royal hunting ground. The acquisition of the New Forest was notoriously fraught, with William the Conqueror essentially turfing the local communities out of the area to establish forest law. This prevented most commoners from using the area to graze livestock, to hunt, to forage for food or even erect fences. And not because these pesky commoners would interfere with his royal hunting activities. An unpopular decision with the locals, as you might imagine. I haven't forbid they try and feed themselves. Anyway, his son, William II, who was also known as Rufus, or the Red King, due to his bright red hair and matching ruddy complexion, came to the throne in 1087 and was just as popular as his old dad. For the 13 years he was in power, he ruled with an iron fist. When someone's described as loathsome to nigh all his people, it's a pretty good sign they're going down the best to be feared and loved route. Indeed. King Rufus was notoriously cruel towards his people. And not only the commoners. He put down two rebellions instigated by his own Norman barons, the second of which with such decisive ferocity that no one dared challenge him after that. At least not outwardly. Rufus reversed his father's policy on spending large amounts of money on the church. In fact, he did exactly the opposite. He levied high and far-reaching taxes across England. He also raided monasteries whenever he was in need of funds. Pair that with the fact that most of the history books were written by the church at the time. So you can imagine that they paint him as quite the unpleasant monarch. And on top of all of that, he upheld forest law to the extreme. It's pretty horrific. For example, if you were caught bothering the deer, you'd be blinded. All in all, an utterly brutal man. And with a brutal reign comes a brutal end. And it's recorded right here on the Rufus Stone. <clears throat> it reads, uh, Here stood the oak tree on which an arrow shot by Sir Walter Tyrrell at a stag glanced and struck King William II, surnamed Rufus, on the breast of which he instantly died on the second day of August, anno 1100. The original trees are long gone, but supposedly the trees lining the clearing around us are the descendants of that very oak. No way to verify that. King William II, surnamed Rufus, being slain, as before related, was laid in a cart belonging to one Perkis, and drawn from hence to Winchester and buried in the cathedral church of that city. Perkis, by all accounts, was a local charcoal burner, and he turned down five pieces of silver to bring Rufus's body to Winchester, instead choosing the right to collect dead wood from the New Forest, which was a criminal offence at the time. That's known as uh, collecting wood by hook or crook. That permission would have been quite valuable to him and his family. Following the event, the marksman who supposedly shot the king, Sir Tyrrell, fled to France, abandoning the now-dead king. Apparently, 
he stopped off at a blacksmith's near a ford. It was now called Tyrrell's Ford, where he shod his horse backwards. Wait, he put the horseshoes on the wrong way round? Mm, that's right. Hmm. Smart guy. Poor horse. Yeah. And as with all good folklore in the United Kingdom, there's also a pub named after Sir Walter Tyrrell in Brook, as well as a King Rufus pub in Ealing. Celebrating history with a drink is a long-standing tradition. It was definitely murder. Just look at the evidence. Henry, Rufus's brother, was hunting in the exact same forest as Rufus when he got killed. The New Forest, a royal hunting ground, where you might find royals hunting. And if it was a season for it, why wouldn't they all be out there? He was crowned king three days after Rufus's death. Three days. No grieving, no extravagant funeral, and on top of that, Henry wasn't even next in line to the throne. He's our suspect. I'm not surprised. Politics and power plays were notoriously cutthroat in those times. Not that that's changed much nowadays. Just look at the rebellions and power struggles of the 12th and 13th centuries. Or how William the Conqueror claimed the crown. He paid the Pope to give him his blessing, then immediately attacking Harold, who just fought another large battle hundreds of miles to the north. If you think about it, that whole period was essentially one war after another. If not with some other kingdom, then within the country itself. Feudal barons plotting to overthrow anyone with more power and take advantage of anyone with less power than them. If anything, that makes Rufus more likely to have been murdered. Maybe. Then what about the murder weapon? Improbability of the event aside, it's a mighty coincidence that an arrow shot at a stag, missed its mark, bounced off an oak tree, pierced Rufus through the lung and killed him instantly. Okay, think how many hundreds of hunting accidents happen each year nowadays. Though, I will say it lacks a certain... je ne sais quoi. Mm. The story would have had to have been embellished to make it more memorable. I suppose you're right. I'm not saying that it was impossible for the death to have been an accident, just that it's suspicious that the archer legged it to France right after. Well, surely anyone who just killed a king might want to make themselves scarce. Even if he was widely disliked, treason on that scale would have led to dreadful punishment, most likely followed by a slow and painful death. Even then, he may have just been rushing back to bring the noose to Normandy. And don't forget, the jury's still out on whether it actually was Sir Walter Tyrrell who even shot the arrow in the first place. That's what gets me about these stories. There's always another version. Just when you think you've gotten your facts straight, another possibility crawls out of the woodwork to confuse things. But don't you think that's part of their charm? These tales have become so warped by time, by retellings of retellings, that no one really knows what happened. Only a tiny kernel of truth remains. In our case, it's the Red King, dying in the New Forest. Well, that's how you get a folktale, a story distilled down to its bare bones, and then refleshed so fantastically as to become almost unrecognisable from its origins. But the bones. The bones are the same, no matter what flesh hangs off them. Some may find that charming. Others, unsettling. Now, if we could ask the Red King himself, he could weigh in. At least he could settle who shot the arrow. Well, that would be a pretty definitive case closed. Now that... That would be charming. Oh, leave off. I know deep down you love a good folk tale as much as the next person. So, how about we ask him? <laughs> we can try. We weren't only investigating this tale because it was an interesting piece of local history, but because of multiple reports of the Red King himself still haunting the area. We want to know if he's still hanging around. 
give you the answer to that arrow question. Though I guess it would all depend if you saw who loosed it. Now, Aiden, one more thing. Are most ghostly hauntings not caused by an individual having some sort of unfinished business? Mm, yeah, I'd say a large number of them are. Well, would your unresolved, unpunished murder not be a good enough reason to stick around? Or, in this case, the wrathful Rufus, the Red King, still roaming the royal hunting grounds, condemned to a fate worse than death by his power-hungry brother, who employed a master archer to make a dastardly murder look like a terrible accident. Miss Moore, you're turning into quite the storyteller. I am learning from the best. could be the curse. Mm. The curse. We can't have already got this far into the story and not mention the curse. Sorry, I got sidetracked by murder. That tracks. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Rufus's father, William the Conqueror, essentially stole the lands and livelihoods of the people living in the New Forest at the time, as was his supposed divine right. An unpopular decision. A very unpopular decision. Now, the legend supposedly goes as follows. There were countless inhabitants uprooted and cast out from their homes and lands across what is now the New Forest. In one of these villages, no more than a hamlet really, there lived a blacksmith with his wife and son, soon to be a man grown. Some say the blacksmith's name was Jack, others that it might have been Godwin. The truth of the matter has been lost to the gnarled trees and grasping brambles. The blacksmith for that is what we will call him, watched his home go up in flames as the way was cleared for the Norman king's hunting grounds. He saw his grandfather's smithy collapse in on itself, the memory of sweat and blood toiling for hard iron, lost to smoke and greed. He saw the herb garden, so carefully started by his grandmother and lovingly tended by his wife, trampled to mud beneath cruel, booted feet. Tears shone bright on their faces as the small family watched their lives swallowed by fire and conquest. No more they wait to the gentle sound of the stream near their home, chase hungry deer away from the meagre crops, or stay up late telling stories by the warm glow of the hearth fire. When they tarried too long in the wreck of their home, soldiers came in soot blackened mail, swords sharp and hungry. Their cruel cuts wounded the blacksmith dearly. As the steel came to strike his death blow, he was too weak to stop his son from stepping between himself and the wicked blade. Metal cut sinew and bone with a butcher's precision, and his son's blood soon mingled with his own. The soldiers left. A small, crumpled body lay next to him, his wife's arms wrapped around it, shaking it, pleading with anything they could hear her to give their child back to them. The blacksmith felt the rage inside him burst, a dam finally overwhelmed by grief and the strong, unforgiving anger of the forest around him. 
The trees groaned in the howling wind, now strong enough to bowl a grown man off his feet as black clouds gathered on the horizon. The land remembers its own. Their bodies, freely given, have nourished the plants that grow there, the animals that thrive there, their blood, their sap is one with the trees and rivers, all of which cried out at the injustice and horrors committed around them. In his last moments before the land took him, the blacksmith spoke aloud to all the things of the forest, bird and beast, heath and hill, river and moorland. He cursed those who'd taken his son and his livelihood away from him. He cursed the soldiers, he cursed their Norman king, sitting on a stolen throne. His words echoed on the wind. If you steal the land of an Englishman, then you shall know this curse. Your favoured son's warm blood will run to feed the vengeful earth. In saying so, with his blood, Seeping into the soil of the land he called his home, something heard him. Something malicious, cruel. A thing made of trees and creeping brambles that reach out to grasp you from the shadows. Biting wind that chills you to the bone even as you sit by the dying embers of your fire. A thing of eyes in the dark, reflecting the flames taller than a deer, more cunning than a man. A thing of teeth and hunger and the pain of everything that runs, swims, flies and dies in the forest. The hunger of nature turned upon the line of the Norman king and anyone who followed him. Secret, patient, ever waiting for those of the line of William the Conqueror once again set foot in the forest. Now we have a better understanding of the Red King's demise, I think it might be useful to run through the grisly details of these hauntings. Agreed. Even though the intricacies of each story surrounding the death change from source to source, the ghosts and ghost events derived from the death are remarkably consistent. First-hand sightings, conveniently blurry photographs, the lot. That's a good sign. Yeah, it makes our job a tad easier, that's for sure. So, there are three ghosts, or ghost events, associated with the legend of the Red King. Firstly, we have our tyrant king, Rufus the Red. Vengeful ghost king searching for his murderer. Somewhat. The Red King was killed near the spot marked by the Rufus Stone, and his body was carried from there to Winchester, the old capital of England, about 20 miles away. He is, according to the story, doomed to retrace that path. Every single night, or just on the anniversary of his death? Eternally, according to the story. I know that doesn't give us too much to go on, but I believe it implies he's stuck, trapped on the pathway he travelled between his last living moments and his journey to the grave. Hmm. Would have been useful to have a published timetable, but you know these ghost types. Unreliable, the lot of them. Well, get them that calendar app you use. Now, we can track down the other two related ghost events much more easily, and it helps they're somewhat linked. On the anniversary of the Red King's death, the 2nd of August, Ocknor Pond, a frequently used watering hole for livestock on the common, turns red, stained with the blood that washed off the murderer's hands. Aha! What's up? You said it. 
Ocknell? No. Murderer. The blood that washed off the murderer's hands. You believe me. Would you accept it was a slip of the tongue? Sure. Whatever you say. It's a shame we're a bit late in the year for these events. A blood-red pond would be quite something. Yeah, only by a few months, but... Uh, ooh, uh, here. Take a look at this. It's all put in order and everything. I'm sorry. Who are you and what have you done with Aiden? This is great. I mean, I may be excited about the whole unsolved murder angle, but this? Even if we don't see a ghost, these colour-coded files might actually make the whole trip worth it. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate it. Though... When I was putting it together, I may have taken a slight detour into some 12th century folklore that led me down the path of listening to an entire album that someone's made of a troubadour's poetry. There's even one about how great frogs are. Right, that I've got to hear. But for now, Ocknell. Of course, uh, back to the bloodstained pond. Over the last 20-odd years, there have been multiple reports of Ocknell Pond changing colour. It gets harder and harder to track down reports the further back you go, but I've picked out the most relevant ones. Hmm. Eleven reports. Hang on. These aren't all dated to the 2nd of August. No. The event seems to occur somewhere within the last two weeks of July and the first two weeks of August, the four weeks surrounding the anniversary of the Red King's death. In most of the articles, the colour change from normal to blood red seems to happen pretty quickly, and the pond doesn't stay red for more than a few days, uh, to... Ooh, there. A week in 2015. And then in some years, no colour change at all. And heck, in some years, no pond at all. Those aren't great photos. Yeah. Of course, the pond may have changed to red some years and not been reported, and the exact data change is uncertain. But this is what I've managed to dig out from the Park Service archives. Hmm. It's not as bloody as I imagined it. Quite brown. That colour change could easily be caused by tannins from the peat or surrounding organic debris. Or it could even be a joke in poor taste. That's essentially what all the articles conclude. Most of them reiterate ad nauseum that this is a natural event, not due to some villainous company pouring chemicals into the water table or anything nefarious like that. You know, no need for the public to panic, but just don't go for a dip, just in case. <laughs> Figures. On three of these occasions, our third and final ghost event was sighted. Tyrrell's Hound. Tyrrell, as in the master archer Tyrrell who may or may not have murdered the Red King? Yep, that's the one. Tyrrell's Hound. I'm sure I've come across that before. In the reports? Mm, I don't think so. Well, if it's important, it'll come back to me. The Hound also appears at the same time as the pool turning red. It's a classic black hound, straight out of British folklore. So probably not one of those nice guardian hounds? Not exactly. Okay. So, that most likely means it's a huge dog, nocturnal, with shaggy black fur and glowing red eyes. To a T, this hound has all the markings of a death omen. Brilliant. A classic piece of British folklore. You don't seem too happy about that. I'm not. I wouldn't make light of this one. On two of the three occasions that the hound was sighted, people died. One was an unnamed walker, out late trying to catch a glimpse of the Perseid meteor shower. Out, alone in the New Forest, probably at the darkest time of night. That's right. They were in the area about 1, 2am. And uh, you know Amy Wilson? Oh, the co-presenter of that late night ghost hunting show. What's it called? Hunting the Other Side? Yes, that's the one. I haven't seen that in years. There's a reason for that. She died. Oh. Almost a year after coming to report on the spectral black hound of Ocknell Pond. Tyrrell's Hound. 
How did I not know this? It happened over two years ago. You stopped watching way before that, after they did a report on the London Dungeons. Everyone knows that's just a tourist attraction. There aren't actually any ghosts there. In any case, I'm sorry. She was great at her job. So they stopped producing the show? Yeah, I don't think anyone had the heart to continue without her. Understandable. But neither of the pair who saw the hound died in the new forest, right? They all died within a year of seeing Tyrrell's hound. Oh, okay. You had me worried there. I thought that it came after them at Ocknell Pond. That would make me seriously reconsider our camping trip. Well, Tyrrell's hound isn't the cause of death. It's an omen of death, a predictor, like the Cunanun, the Welsh dog of the underworld, or the Kerries from Greek mythology. In British folklore, the spectral black hound is a pervasive figure, like haunting graveyards, barrows, or alternatively places of execution, like the gallows, crossroads. All those liminal spaces between life and death. Didn't you say that black hounds were originally linked to the devil? Yeah, they were. Well, they tend to either be betrayed as the devil himself or in his service, a sort of hellhound. Uh, most people have heard of Black Shuck in East Anglia, or Padfoot, or the Bargest of Yorkshire, and that's not even counting all the hounds that are named the Black Hound of X or Y or Z. They're all over the UK. I'd be surprised if an area didn't have a black dog myth. But I don't think there's a link between Tyrrell's hound and the devil. Okay. We have two deaths following the sighting of Tyrrell's hound, this spectral death omen. You said there were three sightings total. So what happened to the last person? Read the next entry, just below the pink tab. Um, this one? That's it. <clears throat> On December 19th, local Burley resident reported seeing a large black dog near Stony Cross Airfield. Reported to be, quote, nigh five feet on the shoulder, eyes smouldering like embers in the dark and teeth as long as a pickpocket's fingers, unquote, local police have carried out extensive searches in the area for the animal. They repeat that residents and visitors should not be alarmed by increased police presence and should anyone see a large black dog to keep a safe distance and report it to their local constabulary. I know this. I've read this before. Well, keep going, keep going. Our reporters spoke to the resident who raised the alarm, who said, quote, It won't do any good now. Tyrrell's hound will be long gone. I wouldn't seek it out in any case. They're trampling all over the moorland like they own the place. It's best left alone. And anyways, nothing they do now will change anything. It's too late. Unquote. Quite a fatalist, this Burley resident. Oh, of course. I think you know who reported this. Albert. Albert. Well, that's good. That breaks the trend. We only spoke to him a few weeks ago and he seemed fine. Maybe a little keen on the local bitter, but apart from that, sprightly and eager to share his tales. When did he make the report? About 11 months ago. Okay, I must have come across it when I was checking for cult pixie stories. Look, Aidan, I don't think there's any cause for panic. By his own reckoning, he's a regular on the moors. He knows his way around. But we don't need to worry. And if Tyrrell's hound is an omen of death, like you say it is, well, there's no use fretting and nothing we can do about it if it's already been sighted. I never pictured you as a fatalist. I'm a realist. Despite what Albert says, it could have just been a big black dog. Hmm. In any case, we're off season for both the pond and Tyrrell's hound. Looks like our only option is to try and meet the Red King himself.
I volunteered to walk the path tonight. All the sightings of the Red King were reported by people on their own. So we agreed to try and recreate the conditions they experienced as exactly as we could. And Kitty isn't too far away. She dropped me off at the Rufus Stone a few minutes ago at roughly a quarter to midnight and then continued along the road for about a mile or so. She's given me 30 minutes to get to the rendezvous before she's going to start to walk back along the path towards me. It's really dark out here. Darker than I expected. And what with the rope being so close and all. Uh, good thing I've got this. All I have to do this crisp autumnal night is walk from here, the Rufus Stone, where the Red King died, to the rendezvous point. Easy. Backup recorder's on, so I'm not going to be caught up by technical failures this time. Okay. <clears throat> King Rufus. Rufus Rex? Rufus Rye? You there? Hello? Is anyone there? Can you hear me? Can you say something? Oh, shoot. Wait a second. Ah, okay, let's hear you in action. <laughs> channel. Hello? Is anyone there? Is that you? King, King Rufus? Can you say something? Okay. How about in a language you might understand? Um, oh, uh, Est-ce que tu peux dire quelque chose, s'il vous plaît? For the record, I did not touch the radio just then. And that's just an animal. Nothing to worry about. It's like, like, like the crow. Just like the crow. Oh, why now? Come on, come on please turn back on. Oh, thank goodness. Ah, light again. Hello? Who's there? Solid, actual pony. You are a real pony, aren't you? Yeah, that's a real pony. Wondering where the silly humans are wandering around late at night, making all sorts of strange noises. You haven't seen King Rufus, have you, pony? Good thing Kitty's not here. She'd say, why are you talking over the recording like that? There's no reason to be scared. It's time to get some evidence. Red King. Uh, Rouge, vous êtes là. Uh, Parlez-moi. 
Hello? Are you there? I, I've just dipped down off the top of a rise into a small hollow and it's, it's freezing down here. King Rufus? Is that you? Oh, that's... Dan? Please, wait! yourself. Montre-toi. No, that's... Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> I've been through Aiden's case files multiple times now. Apart from the fact they're unusually neat, not that I'm complaining, our mission tonight looks really promising. Nighttime, on the path, solo. This might be the best chance that we have to get evidence of the Red King. For me at least, it's now just a waiting game. If he isn't back in- Kitty! Aiden? Kitty! Over here! How'd it go? Anyone out this evening? Aiden, what happened? You look half frozen to death. We need to go. Now. What are you talking about? There is... There's definitely something out there. You saw him. The Red King. I, please. Can, can we go? I need more information first. What did you see? I, I don't know. I, I, th I thought it was... It was cold. Out of nowhere, I could... I could feel breath. I could feel breath on the back of my neck. I, I could hear the heavy the drag of a body being pulled along the ground. I, I thought I saw someone. I, you didn't follow me, did you? No. I was right here at our rendezvous point, as we agreed. You promise you weren't there? I was just reading through the case files when you came in. Aiden, what did you see? I, I saw, it can't have been him. You saw the Red King? I, no. No? No. Maybe I... I heard it first. The drip of... Kitty, it felt like it was pointing towards me. That I... I did it. I was a coward that I betrayed him. That was so wrong. Wrong. You know we can't do anything with wrong. Tell me what you saw. I'm sorry, Kitty. The, the body... His body... It was contorted and horrible. The, the mouth was open like he was trying to speak, but brambles and thorns, they, they poured out of it, out of his eyes. They were reaching for me and... I, I ran. I saw it, Kitty. You have to believe me. It was so cold, so dark, so quiet. 
trying to speak. Did you get a photo? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I tried. Hang on. Uh, oh, damn it. Uh, can you put in my phone's passcode? Fine. Huh. Is this it? What? This photo of some trees. That's not... It was, it was there. I'm not making this up. Please, you have to believe me. Fine. Look, if you can't handle it, we can head back to the campsite. I can come back another night. You don't think it's enough? You gave me the look. What look? The look. The look on your face right now. This is just my normal face, Aiden. I have on occasion been told I have resting. No. You don't believe me. You think I let it all get to me? I think you've just had a shock. It was there. I saw the shapes in the night. It was dark and cold. So cold. And there was so much blood on the path. On the brambles. Blood? It dripped from wounds shut and opened anew by stitches of rotting bramble. Your hands cut. What did you do? I slipped after I was running after. Uh, look, it, it doesn't matter now. We should head back to camp. You can't keep going. I... <clears throat> I dropped the radio. I didn't mean to, but it just slipped out of my hand. Okay. We can swing around and pick it up. I would say leave it, but we can't afford to. I'm sorry. C can I just have a minute? Of course. You wait in the car. I won't be long. You shouldn't be going alone. You shouldn't be going at all. Aiden, relax. I'll be fine. Where did you drop it? What if... The things out there, I can't lose you. Then I'll make a polite introduction and take a photo. Please, don't. I'll be fine. Where did you drop the radio? We can come back when it's light, just in case. Torch, please. Aiden, answer the question. I think I dropped it maybe five minutes back that way. Just past the cops of you trees. Expect me back in 15. Watch out, ghosts. Tonight... I hunt. The Weird Side will return. If you enjoyed the programme, please help support the podcast by giving us a follow on social media at The Weird Side on Twitter and Instagram, by leaving a review on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, and sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. As a small production, this really helps us out. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>